Hi there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I am a psychotherapist. I am a professor. I am a speaker. I am a business owner in Chicago. And that's just a little bit about me. I'm also from Fairfield, Ohio, like our guest who is joining us today. And I am so delighted to, in such a short span of time, been able to speak to a couple people from my hometown. It's just really interesting to get another person's perspective on a time in my life that was, you know, completely shaped who I am. And at the same time as something where for me, there's still some shame and judgment and all sorts of stuff, right? Oof, brings up all the fails just thinking about it. So before I introduce our guest, I'd love to ask you if you are a fan of the podcast, I'd love for you to share it share it with other people. I'm just, this is just so fun for me. And I've been getting some feedback that it's fun for you guys too. And so I appreciate you so, so, so much for listening. And we could be totally best friends if you would share this with other people. So thank you. And also, if you do feel so moved to rate and review on iTunes, that actually really helps with visibility and gives some credibility to some of the shit that I'm putting out there in the world. So thank you for being you and thank you for considering sharing with friends. So today I am going to be chatting with Molly Bean, who is the founder and CEO of Clean Beauty Startup from Molly with Love. Molly started the company as a kitchen table startup in 2016. Less than three years later, her products are sold in hundreds of retailers with international distribution. Molly and from Molly with Love have been featured in Good Morning America, Well Plus Good, is that well plus, I don't know what that is. Well and well and good, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Pop Sugar, Huffington Post, Thought Catalog, BuzzFeed, Forbes, and other publications. So please enjoy my interview with Molly Bean. Hey, Molly. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm so excited too. And I ha I just have to tell everybody because I don't know how we would put that little piece in here. But so we're just about to get started. I'm like, are you ready, Molly? And she's like, I'm ready. Just let me take a big swig of my Diet Mountain Dew. And I said, <laughs> you can take the girl out of Fairfield, but you can't take the Fairfield out of the girl. And that that's our hometown. Yes, it is. Ooh. Yes, it is. <laughs> when did you move away? Oh, right after high school. I was gone at yeah. 18. Mm. So my parents still live there and I go back and forth. My stepdad has ALS. So now I'm going oh, back wow. and forth a lot. Yeah, I haven't lived there. I got right out. <laughs> I was about when you said my parents still live there, I was about to say mine too, but wait, they're dead. So, <laughs> oh, so no, they don't oh. live there anymore. So were you in my brother's class? I was two classes underneath your brother, okay. but we were in Coraliers together and we were friends in high school. And then for whatever reason, we stayed in touch all this time, you know, 16 to 18 mm -hmm. years later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that's how we know each other. Conversations with a wounded healer family. And so my, my brother, this was, your company's like three years old, right? 
three years old. Yes. Like yeah. So I think it was like right after you started and Adam sent me something and he's like, oh, my God, you have to check out Molly. Like, she's doing awesome. This is really cool. She got sober, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like you're busy with life and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll check it out at some point. And I followed you, you know, out of like, yay, businesswoman solidarity. And then I think you started doing sponsored ads or something because a lot started popping up. And then I read more about your story and I was like, hold on. Wait, yes, <laughs> she needs to be on the show. We need to just connect as women business owners and crystal lovers and all of the things. So yeah, so that's why you're here. I'm so glad that he connected us because I'll tell you, your brother is a great person. And from everything he says about you, like you're rad. And yeah, I'm just excited to be around another like-minded person. Yay. Okay. So why don't you tell people who you are and what you do first? So my name is Molly Bean and I'm the founder and CEO of a company called From Molly With Love. I like to call us a feminist skincare, like all natural, clean skincare and lifestyle brand. And what we're all about is we're all about self-care and, you know, we're not going to use terms like anti-aging. We're not going to pray upon your insecurities to sell you a beauty product mm -hmm. because there's actually nothing wrong with you doing things differently. We have very diverse models in our marketing, you know, everything from trans women to, you know, women of color, older women, you know, just women that you wouldn't see um, normally in advertisements uh, mm -hmm. shown as beautiful. We feel that that's really important and that you don't need bath bombs and face cream and all of this because somebody tells you that there's something wrong with you, but you can use yeah. these as tools for self-care and everything's all natural clean. We're certified by PETA. We sell on our website at frommollywithlove.com where I also blog a lot about self-care and wellness and justice. Also in, um, at this point, thousands of storefronts all across the US and in, I wanna say now six different countries. Um, we're even in Urban Outfitters now. And we started as like in my kitchen, I had been just out of rehab, fired from my job. I had no money. I was in like my 500 square foot apartment being like, oh, maybe I could like turn my hobby into a business on Etsy. Like plenty mm. of people make money on Etsy. <laughs> right, right. And so that's how we started three years ago. And we've grown so much since then. First of all, you're so fucking impressive. Like, let's just, it's really impressive. And people say that to me from time to time, and I have a really hard time taking it in. So I want to, I want to encourage you to like, take that and really. Oh, I'm taking it. Keep good. on. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's super fucking impressive. And the other thing I want listeners to know, because of course, I went on your website last night, and I was like, I'm going to buy some product. And I ended up putting it in a cart and then doing what other stupid things that I'm doing with my life. And it's affordable. You guys. Yeah, it's, it's intentional. So affordable. Yeah, that's intentional because, you know, you I don't want to mention names of my competitors, but you can buy, you mm -hmm. know, if you want to go get a clean serum for your face or some luxury cream from these clean beauty companies, you're going to be spending 60, 80, 90, 110 dollars yeah. and Girl, I know how much these raw materials cost. And let me just tell you, you are being gouged, okay? And I'm a little yeah. bit, and this is just my personal opinion, I'm a little bit of an anti-capitalist capitalist. Yes, so, yes, yes. you know, going along with these things should be inclusive for everybody, no matter what you look like, but also no matter how much money you have. So I wanted to make it accessible for everyone. Yeah. As a business owner, I can completely understand 
understand that. And at the same time, I, w- I want people to know how hard it is to run an affordable business because one of the reasons our fees are- It takes are what a lot the- of maths. It takes a lot of <laughs> maths. But I'm at this point in scaling my own business where I want to give my staff more money, but I can't give it to them yet because yes. you know what I'm talking about. So I just want people to understand mm-hmm. from a business person's perspective is like, we can have this desire to make these things accessible, but to actually do it is, it's kind of magic. So you're a yeah. magical witchy unicorn and I love you. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you too that we pay a living wage to our employees and it's not like I have a bunch of employees, but like $15 is my minimum wage and yeah. my employees now are making over $20 an hour. And again, that's not a whole lot, but you know, it's a lot more than what some big companies would pay for some of these functions. And I'm still able to provide an affordable product. And so it just takes a lot of pricing strategy and maths and but you can do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about your story of of how you got here. You mentioned that you had just gotten out of rehab and decided to do this. But like, let's okay, let's start from Fairfield, because yeah, (laughs) one of the one of the conversations I have with people who grew up where I grew up is there's those of us who left and those of us who stayed. And I'm mm-hmm. always so curious about like, you know, why did people leave? Like, how did you know you needed to leave? Like, what was that kind of process like for you? Because I'm going to say it's funny. I'm going to try to like post this to like local things. And I don't want anyone from Fairfield Please. to think I'm a total asshole. But at the same time, oh, no, they'll like, agree with you. <laughs> well, some of them will. Some of them won't. Like because the people who stay, they stay for a reason. Right. And Fairfield is very conservative. Right. Like that nobody can argue with. It's very conservative. And a lot of people may not agree with this, but there's a lot of racism that runs through oh, Southern yeah, Ohio. Yeah, I truly did not. I never heard anyone with an Asian accent until I went to Chicago. Like that's I never how... met a Jewish person until I <gasps> went to college. Really? Oh, my mom yeah. loved the Jews. So we met a lot of Jewish people. But yeah, so it's a conservative place. It's, you know, very small town, blue collar. How else would you describe it? Strip malls. Strip malls. Um, that, yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, for the people who are listening who still live there, I'll just say, truthfully, my reasons for really being mad at Fairfield have nothing to do with the town itself. It really has to do with my relationship to my parents and what I went through there. So I have a big aversion. I don't want to go back. You know, now that my parents aren't here, I don't I don't want to go back. And so I have this aversion. But people who still live in Fairfield, it's not about you. It's about my folks. So (laughs) don't please don't take it personally. So anyway, that was a really long like prelude to your story. But please tell us everything. My leaving Fairfield, again, has nothing to do with Fairfield in general. So I came to Fairfield when I was in the fourth grade. And before that, I was living in like inner city Cincinnati. I grew up in what I would call a white blue collar ghetto, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. It was a scary place. I went without food all the time. We were very poor and I was um, abused as a child. Yeah, I experienced significant childhood trauma. And so when I moved to Fairfield, that was me moving in with my mother and Mm. my mother was my safe haven. She Mm. rescued me from, you know, all the bad things that were happening to me. So Fairfield was actually really great for me for a while. And then, you know, high school came and we were growing up and I started to engage in the habits that, you know, high school kids do. But like, 
you know, we already mentioned that I went to rehab. So like I'm different than Mm -hmm. a normal person, you know, and I have alcoholism on both sides of my family, which means that I'm 80% more likely to become an addict. And um, when my parents told me that growing up, I was like, oh, that's bullshit. (laughs) But no, that'll never happen to me. My doctor was like, you were never going to escape this. This was this was baked into your DNA. Like you were just always going to be this way. And so there were some things that uh, I started getting into along with the other kids in high school. And it kind of scared me. And kids started, I guess I was a little scared to like venture into some of the harder stuff in Mm -hmm. high school. And I saw that happening. And I just realized, you know, I could stay here and like really burn out or I could become the first person in my family to go to college and I could leave Mm -hmm. and I can experience the rest of the world and and get out of here and and kind of create a life for myself. And that's what I decided to do. Mm -hmm. Now, it didn't rescue me from the addiction. Right, right. So I left right after high school. I didn't go far. I went to Dayton um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for college. And then afterwards, I moved to Washington, D.C. And then I Mm. lived back in Columbus, Ohio. And now I've been in San Diego, California for the last seven years. So question. And this is this is showing my naivety, naivete, naiveness, whatever. Whatever. When I was in high school, the popular kids had parties where people were drinking. I didn't even get drunk in high school because I went to one party where we were drinking and like especially the Coraliers. We didn't do that stuff. And yeah. so what changed from like I graduated in 97 and if you were 2003. OK, 2003. Like I didn't see any of that shit. And I, I was always curious because like Adam's class was getting into more of that, too. And something shifted dramatically. Well, actually, the Coraliers, like, you're right. The Coraliers weren't doing that stuff. I was doing that stuff. Coraliers were show choir, you guys, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah, we were show choir nerds in theater and all that stuff because we're fabulous. Anyway. Yes. I started like I first smoked my my first marijuana cigarette uh, when I was 11 and I started drinking at 12 and 13. Mm -hmm. So I started seeing this stuff before I was in Coraliers and started doing Mm. this stuff from a very young age. And it was at the age of 15. I was at a party. I had been partying really hard. I had started experimenting with some other things and I looked around and there was like it was just a filthy apartment. Like the blinds were broken. There was hardly any furniture people were doing like heroin and I I was just like I could choose to continue to do this and go and live like these people or I could not and so then when I joined Coraliers I kind of cleaned up my act a little bit and that was my way of like trying to stay a good kid Oh, thanks, Mr. Pryor. Yeah, thank you, Daniel Pryor. Yeah, we'll have to send this to him. <laughs> yeah, be like, wait, what the fuck was happening behind the scenes? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm curious too if you care to share, like, at what point you realized, oh shit, like I have an addiction issue and I need to go to treatment. Oh, man, that took me a really long time. So after college, I moved right to Washington, D.C., which is a really great place to be young and drunk and uh, (laughs) professional. 
<laughs> at the same time, man, yeah. I got so much. I, I know what kind of cigarettes John Boehner smokes. Like oh. I know what tanning beds he goes to. Like I get, all, <laughs> I got all the gossip living on the hill, man. I'll Hilarious. tell you, it was great. Wow. But I started binge drinking in college just to fit in with everybody else and alcoholism and drug addiction. It's all a progressive disease. And mm-hmm. so, and I was in PR and marketing and communications. And that's also, mm. I mean, I guess you could think of Mad Men, but it's different. That's also an industry where yes. drinking is encouraged and yep. where like the beer cart will come around mm-hmm. at 4 p.m. on Fridays and you're expected to wine and dine with your clients. Yep. And there's happy hours every night of the week. And so I kind of got into this habit of drinking every single day mm-hmm. with my colleagues and work hard, play hard. And I didn't realize that I had a problem for so many years because it was just w- what was normal around me. And I think that that's the case, you know, like unpopular opinion, but for a lot of you people out there. That's yeah. probably the case with you too. You know, obviously everybody's different, but I just see it a lot. So it started to progress and then I got a divorce and then it got worse. And then I moved to San Diego and then I discovered day drinking because it's beautiful <laughs> here and everybody <laughs> day drinks. So then I went from like night drinking oh. to like day and night drinking. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I had trauma and I was Mm. really trying to do whatever I could do to not feel my feelings. But I didn't know that that's what I was doing. Right. I just thought I was a good time and I still am a good time. But Mm -hmm. really what happened was at 30, I found out that I am totally infertile. I'm in pre-onset perimenopause. You know, it's a long story, but I can't have any kids. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of reproductive challenges and... I always wanted to be a mother because I had a bad childhood and it hit like a deep core wound. So at 30, I went off the rails and I started doing drugs and I started partying and I got to the point where I was like drinking before work and doing drugs in the bathroom at work and it got really ugly and you know it didn't take an intervention I'm I I think I'm level-headed enough and ambitious enough and I've been through mm-hmm. adversity and struggle and I've seen people go through this and I've lived in Fairfield hello <laughs> like I'm I was smart enough to say this isn't how I want to live and so I put myself into treatment and when I told everybody I was going into treatment everybody was so surprised like oh my god I thought you had a perfect life and it's because like bitch addicts are really good at hiding this Uh, shit yeah Mm-hmm. You know, like I had a job and I had a car and I had an apartment and I went to yoga class. But, you know, like secret keeping is, is something yes. that we're really good. And so I went to rehab and on the first day I was in rehab, I got fired from my job, which is illegal and like <gasps> totally disability it discrimination. Is. Oh, I them and got a settlement because, fuck, um, yes, fuck you. <laughs> sorry, I no. shouldn't say no, that's absolutely true. That's one thing that I, yeah, I tell my clients, like you can't get, you can get fired for not doing your job, but you can't get fired for going into treatment. You can't lose your job yeah, for that. It ended up being the best thing that happened to me because I realized mm-hmm. I didn't want to go back into that career anyway because of the drinking, but also because I never felt fulfilled and I never felt good about working for other people and like making their dreams come true and watching them treat their employees like shit while they live in this giant house with a movie theater in it while like Mm -hmm. you know the people that I'm managing can like 
hardly pay their rent. They're living on $2 a day. Like I didn't want to support that anymore. Like I wanted to make my dreams come true. And so I fumbled around a little bit for a few months trying to figure out how to make a living. And then I realized, oh, I have this hobby and people are telling me that these are good products. And I was really naive. I had no money, no capital, but I just Mm -hmm. decided to take a risk because I had nothing else to lose. I took a leap of faith and I started my business because I was trying to heal myself. You know, during rehab, I started, you know, becoming more spiritual. I Mm -hmm. had been like a pretty hardcore atheist person before. I had some bad experiences with religion Mm -hmm. early in my life Mm -hmm. and in high school. But I started to become a more spiritual person because I, I realized that like the belief that we can do this all on our own is really just derived from our ego. Yes. And I started seeking out a lot of healing modalities and I started to feel better. Yeah. And I also, when you have PTSD like I do and you take away your coping mechanism, which is the drugs and the alcohol, mm-hmm. you have to find some other way to cope. And so I had to fill that hole and I, that's what she said. Anyway, (laughs) sorry. Okay. Now we're best friends. Uh, Now it's done. Okay. uh, I, I, you know. Mr. Pryor, rewind that and pretend you didn't hear it. (laughs) You know, I am who I am. So I was experimenting with all of these modalities and I found what worked for me. And so for Molly with Love really started as a way to heal myself and a way that I could extend that to other people. It was very craft fairy at first. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I was at the farmer's market and craft fairs and selling on Etsy. And then, you know, I put myself into a lot of debt. But I did that as a calculated risk because I did a lot of I I put together a rock solid business plan. I looked at consumer. Mm -hmm trends. And I looked at, there were a lot of things that were intersecting right at the perfect time to make my company and, mm. and our mission like really ripe in this environment right now. Yeah, And so I invested in my company as a leap of faith, knowing that I had something and that I was on to something and that, you know, the trends were on my side. And so that's why we grew um, as fast as we did. But yeah, that's kind of my story as to, you know, how I went from there to here. Again, and I still struggle, by the way, but of course, right. We all do. And owning a business is hard. But again, you're so fucking impressive. I (laughs) my business plan was like, oh, I'm just going to start doing this and see what happens. And it literally was just like a year and a half ago. And I was like, oh, I guess I have a business. I should start running it like one. Like, you know, when you when you take out like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, like you want to make sure that you're going to get a return on that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I don't have daddy Warbucks to fund my business. And that's what I, you know, when I tell people who are like, well, you know, you guys have grown so much. Like, how come you can't afford to like, you know, because I had the opportunity to go into Ulta, but I had to pay for all the fixtures and 300 stores to go into Ulta. People are Mm. like, well, you know, you have all this press and your business is growing. How come you can't afford that? And it's like, um. Like, bitch, I don't, I can't call daddy for another $100,000 investment. Right. You know, like, I don't have a friends and family round because my friends and mm-hmm. family are poor. Like, <laughs> right. I'm sorry, but, and you know, women only get like 3% of the venture capital that's out there. So, wow. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and that makes total sense. So you're at a scaling stage too. That's, it's so hard to get to that next level without capital. 
We're actually going to scale back. Are you? Yeah, we, uh, I just sent out an email this week because I haven't mentioned this, but a year ago, I suffered a traumatic brain injury and almost died. I was in the ICU for four days and I'm still recovering. I will be recovering probably for the next five years. I suffer horrible symptoms every day still Mm -hmm. as a result of what happened. And I realized that I can't keep going at a million percent every day. We almost got to a point where we grew ourselves out of business, you know, like a company, a big company, you get an order from a major retail chain and you have to produce all of this, you know, you have to do the labor and produce the order on your own and then wait Mm -hmm. 120 days for shipment to get paid. And so we were getting ourselves into some cash flow binds because Mm -hmm. I was focused on grow, grow, grow. And now I kind of want to slow down a bit and really refine our offerings and really like make sure that we're aligned with this focus on self-care, on this focus of being anti-beauty shaming and making sure that we're just focusing on that and focusing on servicing our customers more than growing, growing, growing. And that was also a decision for me to take better care of myself as well, because it can be very hard when you're an entrepreneur to take care of yourself. And I was not eating my own dog food when it came to self-care. And this is me Mm -hmm. actually making an investment in myself, which I think will be better for my business in the long run. Ugh, I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Oh my God. I just, it's so, you know, the way that you talk about this, it's, I aspire to be better at taking care of myself when it comes to setting limits with my business. And my calendar is my biggest enemy. And I just, yeah. I don't know what to do about it. So just the way that you're talking about this is really, really inspiring. Well, when we talk about addiction, work is also mm. an addiction. Girl, I just got the Workaholics Anonymous books because I recognize like, oh, oh shit, my God, like, I need to get that. I yeah. didn't know that there was There's that. a daily Holy reader. All, <gasps> I'll send it to you all after. Girl. Yes. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah, because I realized I was kind of like, I'm sober now, but I am using work as an escape. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what the TBI was. Like the TBI Mm. was literally God, the universe, whatever you call it, like basically knocking me upside my head, (laughs) telling me you got to slow down and you can't keep running from your feelings by working. Yeah. Uh, So I wonder... One of these days I need to share exactly what my like self-care practice is, but I'm I'm curious if you'd share with listeners, do you have a meditation practice? What do you do with your crystals? What are the ways you take care of yourself? Yes, I love this. And I would love to hear yours someday as well. So my self-care practice looks different on different days, uh, depending on what I need. So, you know, I've read all the blogs and people would talk about morning routines, like, you know, all of the like hyper masculine entrepreneurs that are out there right now that started this big trend. It's like they get up at 430 in the morning and then they drink their bulletproof coffee and then they drink a grass smoothie with Mm -hmm. uh, ultra vitamins and then they work out and then they meditate and then they journal. And then it's, you know, like, fuck that. That's Um, a lot of time. I get up at eight o'clock in the morning and I enjoy my sleep. Uh, Sleep is a big one for me and I let myself sleep as long as I want. I do have a daily meditation practice and I study like a bunch of different spiritual, like I don't subscribe to one thing, but I'm reading A Course in Miracles now. Like Mm. I practice a little bit of Buddhist thought. I'm kind of all over the place, but you know, I like 
chanting and a, a little bit of like mm-hmm. kundalini yoga. Like there's just like a little bit of everything that has worked for me. But I do meditate. I journal. I, I do my daily readings. I am a part of a 12 step program. I like sage and palo santo my space and there's a product in my line that's called the white sage spray that i created with like crystal infused water and like white sage oil that like you can use and if you don't want to burn stuff so sometimes i'll use that i also will take time like my skincare routine with something you know and Mm -hmm. that's why there's so much skincare in my line because that was a way for me to take 10 minutes at night to like close the door, light some freaking candles, like turn on some music Mm. and like have 10 minutes to myself to like really massage my face and Mm. like get in this really groovy place. Like before I go to bed, that's part of it. Sometimes part of it is laying on the couch and watching Netflix for three days and not answering my phone. Fuck yes. (laughs) Sometimes it is, you know, having a long conversation with my friends or my sponsor Mm -hmm. or calling my mom, especially since the TBI, I have been forced to slow down. And so I have developed a lot of different self-care things. Like I have also my crystals. I have like a big stand of crystals. I'm obsessed with astrology. I have like Mm -hmm. 57 tarot card and oracle decks. Sometimes I will sit and I will like charge my crystals or play with my crystals and a lot of times you'll find me because I'm an anxious person like I always have a crystal in my hand like it's like stone like I rub it right now I have crystals in my hand so that's basically you know a rundown of sort of how I care for myself um, it's many different ways it looks different on different days and mm-hmm. you don't have to listen to what other people say I really yeah. believe in doing what's best for you and I think that at least for me there was a lot of resistance in terms of not working as much that's also another thing that I adopted is not working as many hours and when you are a workaholic you have these things in your brain. I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate where when you're not working, you feel guilty. Yeah. When you're being productive, you're like, oh, I should, I should check my email. Like at night I have this battle with myself. I've decided I'm not checking my email at night anymore. And I, I'll have Ugh. this battle with myself in my head. You should check your email. Oh my God. And then I'll be like, no, <laughs> I am not right. curing cancer. <sighs> right. And And I have, I've had to train my brain with neuroplasticity and also going through a lot of therapy, CBT and, you know, learning those tricks has been very helpful because I've been able to now train my brain where I'm okay if I don't look at my email over the weekend or, you know, at night and I'm okay if I decide to take a couple of hours during the day to myself. But, you know, six months ago, I was not teaching yourself how to like stop freaking out about productivity actually like that was one of the biggest gifts that I gave to myself because I've become more creative and had made better judgments as a result oh this is just a wake-up call for me thank you (laughs) so many people struggle with that I know I know and well to just being an entrepreneur owning your own business there's a certain level of if you don't do it nobody's gonna do it so when do you do it? You know, and it just, you just get in these habits of just continuing to do it like this week. So I've got a billing person who does a lot of stuff. And I realized I'm stepping in on some of these emails when she is perfectly capable of handling it herself. And I was like, Sheila, I'm going to intentionally let you do this and stop doing your job before you get a chance to do it. So just tell me when you need me. (laughs) 
So I have a few team members. I'm lucky enough to have a few team members from Molly with Love who have been with us for a little while. I'm proud to say that it's a three-year-old company and mm-hmm. I have one employee who's been with me now almost two years. You know, I'm very proud of that. They have been here long enough that they can do a lot of day-to-day things for me. And that was a godsend when I got the TBI. It was the only reason that I was able to keep my company because I was forced to delegate. And I still have to do a lot of stuff. Like I'm the primary revenue driver, you know, but at the same time, like I'm able to look at one of my employees, Julia, that just came in, like she is amazing at HR and she's extremely proactive and she has creative ideas. And so she can help me with like the shipping and fulfillment, but she can also, you know, help me plan for the holidays and like come up with good ideas and like so I don't have to do all of this alone and that's the other thing that I think a lot of people don't realize I didn't realize it I'm not good at asking for help I had Mm -hmm. to learn that and once you have people on your team that are really rad and good at what they do getting out of their way and delegating to them is one of the best gifts that you can give yourself yeah so I'm curious what your answer is to the question of are you a healer yeah I think we all are. Yeah. In in some way or another, like I'm one of those people that believes that like relationships are assignments that, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. we meet people every day to learn something from them. I have improved my life drastically. I at one point was like in like I was so depressed. I was like in a mental institution and I've gone from being at that point to being, you know, in a relatively good place today, you know, so when you've gone through hell and back and you've learned how to stay on this planet and you've learned how to live a halfway decent life, you start to model certain behaviors. So another thing that I like to do is I like to talk about the shit that I've been through Mm -hmm. on Facebook with my audience. And, you know, people will email me and say, I went to rehab because of you. I went and did this because you had the courage to talk about it. You know, let me talk to you because I have nobody else to go to. And I feel like I'm secretly an alcoholic too. And what do I do? And even just like sharing with people that like reminder, we are human and it is okay to be imperfect. That's part of it as well. I think that's definitely part of being a wounded healer is being vulnerable and sharing these things. Because we all, you know, no matter how perfect we try to pretend our lives are, we all struggle with something. So, yeah, I'm a healer. My products heal. The conversations I have with people heal and other people heal me. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like we have a similar, I've said, it's really just, I think, been in the past couple years since since my business has become more successful and people say like, oh, wow, because you said this, I felt like I could do it. Or, you know, you're a therapist who cusses and so I can feel more comfortable being myself or whatever it is. And then when I think back to who I was in in high school, like I was always... I was always living life out loud because I I just couldn't not do it. I am an externalizer. I could not keep things inside me for the life. There's no, (laughs) if you held a gun to my head and said like, don't talk about your story, I'd be like, no Um, filter. You and I are the same. Yes. So now I've realized that's a fucking superpower and Mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to do in this lifetime and on this planet is to create I guess, a model for other people to just be themselves, you know? And yeah, the saddest thing that I hear, people come up to me and they'll be like, I love your hair. I could never be that brave. And I'm like, why not? 
what like what's stopping what's you holding what's holding you back what's holding you back and it's like oh i couldn't pull it off which is you know the feeling about the way you look or like my boss wouldn't like it so that's society telling you what you need to look like and that mm-hmm. it just makes me sad so I've done a lot of research on Generation Z because mm. first and foremost, I believe that they are going to save the world. But I also, I mean, I did it for my business, right? Because yeah. they are the largest, many people don't know this, but they are now the largest segment of our population. They contribute 44 mm. million to the U.S. economy and, and businesses. What, what year does Z start? Okay, so they're born between 95 and 2010. Okay. So they are, I guess if you were born in 95, you'd be in your 20s, your early 20s. Okay. So they're becoming of age. Mm-hmm. They're not apathetic like Gen X and um, mm-hmm. millennials were, mm-hmm. you know, and they're the most diverse generation. And the reason that I bring this up is because authenticity is very important to them mm-hmm. in a way that it hasn't been to previous generations, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've all had to pretend like our yeah. lives perfect and we've had to look a certain way and we've had to talk a certain way and we've had to keep all of our demons inside and that's what we've been taught to do and now you know there are trailblazers like us and generation z who are coming out and saying no like actually this is what my life is really like and when we stop trying to hide these things and keep them in the shadows and we bring them to light that's when people are really going to be able to heal and when we as like a mass consciousness are going to evolve in a way. And I think that the times that we're living in now and the influence of the next generation, we're going to be seeing even more of that. And I think it's beautiful. Yes, we are. And I had had a conversation with a client yesterday who's going through an incredible spiritual awakening. And when I was kind of giving her some feedback to like validate her experience, I also was realizing all of my people, I have a very small caseload, but all of the clients I have who are in recovery, who went through treatment, they're all in the spiritual awakening mode right now. And I said to her, like, you had to go through what you went through in order to meet me. And I went through all the stuff that I went through in order to meet you so that we could be here for your spiritual awakening. And I completely believe what you're saying. I, you know, in my sphere, I'm having a lot of people coming to me with these with these experiences. And I just posted something on Instagram today about, you know, what we go through when we're doing spiritual awakening, because it ain't pretty. Yeah, it's not. No, I mean, you think it would be this like, you know, the 12th step, like came to believe in power greater than ourselves and have these spiritual awakening or as a as a result of these steps, blah, 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 spiritual awakening. And it's not that cute. No, and it. (laughs) You have to be willing to to go outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. But you come out, you know, like a lotus flower blooming like millions of blooms, you know, on the other side. And I think about, you know, there are so many people out there who have experienced trauma, who have experienced Mm -hmm. loss, who have gone through shit, who have depression or whatever. And you can choose to let that define you. You could choose to wallow in it. You can choose to be a victim or you can choose to do the hard work and realize that you have, by going through those experiences in and of itself, you have something to teach people. Exactly. And that you can be a light even though because you've gone through those things and you Mm -hmm. can, you know, maybe put yourself through a little additional discomfort, Mm -hmm. but that you can 
become an amazing person just by having experienced adversity, if that makes sense. It does. As I hear you say that, one of the other things that's come up for me recently is I realized that my relationship to fear is kind of unique. I'm hearing that you share that with me that, you know, we have this like, I'm just going to fucking jump in and do it and I'll figure out the details later kind of thing. Yeah. And so many people in now that I've become aware of this, when I really talk to people about it, most people don't have that. So I think that's like a resilient quality that we're blessed with. What's your sign? Aquarius. Oh, well, that's why. What are you? <laughs> are you an Aquarius too? You're Gemini. Okay, of course. No, but Geminis and Aquarians are very, you know, we're, we're best friends. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Adam's a Gemini. Yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This has been amazing. And I want to give you an opportunity to share with people like, where do they buy your stuff? Where can they read your blog? Do all of your advertisements so people can stay in contact with you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, of course. Well, I'm going to put my advertisement voice on. (laughs) Oh, yes. Let me adjust my glasses here. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, if we're not best friends after this, I'm just going to be heartbroken. (laughs) I know. You have to be. Yes. Um, okay. So you can find me uh, on the interwebs. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop. And then I have a funny joke that I have to tell because Please. I said the interwebs. And maybe I'll do this right now really quick. When I was working on the Hill, this is when Ted Stevens was still alive. And I don't know if any of you remember in like the mid 2000s when he he was a senator from Alaska and he talked he was old. So he talked about like the series of tubes and the intertube. Yes. Talking yes. about the, the internet. Yeah. And I would get drunk at the bar after work and I would drink <laughs> his office after hours and, and talk about like the inch tubes and oh my God. <laughs> anyway rest in peace amazing. Ted Stevens but you're welcome Ted Stevens staff oh for all the prank God. calls about the intertubes on the intertubes you can find me at frommollywithlove.com and you can read my blog at frommollywithlove.com slash blog I'm on Instagram at frommollywithlove and I do post a lot of I guess empowering and anti-beauty shaming and body positivity and just like you go girl kind of stuff on there and self-care tips also on Facebook and that's facebook.com slash at for Molly with love but nobody goes on Facebook pages anymore and then if you do the Twitter thing I don't tweet very often but sometimes and mostly it's about politics so you Mm -hmm. know you might want to not follow me on Twitter (laughs) but it's um, pay Molly B and yeah that's it man and yeah that's where you can find me awesome Yes, everyone go buy the products. I'm literally going to hang this up and like order the shit that I wanted to order because I've I've actually been looking for a long time for like a clean line because I wanted to not put chemicals in my body anymore. And I just kind of I gave up after a while because I couldn't find one that was affordable. Yeah. So we're affordable and I want to make way for we just discontinued a bunch of products, which is why we have so much on sale. The reason for doing that other than me trying to streamline and simplify and take care of myself is that I want to add some more things to our lineup that are self-care focused Mm. so that like you know, we can do boxes with more yeah. than beauty products. You know, you can have the bath salts and the scrub and the mask and the face oils, but maybe with some chocolates and some a face mm. mask, and slippers and whatever else might help with your self-care. So um, be on the lookout for that in the future. For sure. Oh, this has been so 
Awesome. And Sarah, do you still sing? Not as much anymore, but I am still in a band. Well, that's good because yeah. I forgot that's part of my self-care. I just downloaded a vocal training app and Aww. a karaoke app because oh God, I realized that, like, that, was, that was missing from my self-care and that like literally helps heal my brain every night. So people who like yeah. to sing, get on the karaoke apps and find me. <laughs> okay. We're going to have to do that. And also, I just had a brilliant idea. We're going to need to do like an Instagram live and sing a fucking duet. Let's do it. Oh my, god. <gasps> oh my god, so many amazing things. All right, we we should end this because otherwise it'll go on too long. But okay, yes, sorry guys. You're amazing. I am so glad that we're connected. Thank you to my brother Adam for making Thanks, sure that Adam. this happened. Yeah, you're rad. Yeah, you're rad. Everybody's rad. Everybody's rad. Go have a rad day, guys. Okay, love everybody. <laughs> Bye. What do you think? Do you want to be Molly's best friend too? I bet you do, because she's so fun. OMG. I really hope you enjoyed that interview. And to find more information about Molly, you can check out our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And you can find our podcast in all the places. You know where you're listening. You know where to find this. I don't need to tell you anymore. So thanks as always to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Bye-bye.